The freeze mixed state of the polyvagal theory can have a regulated and dysregulated trauma release. I want to make sure that you can spot the difference. My name is Justin Sinceri. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, helping you to understand the polyvagal theory clearly and apply it to your traumatized state so you can finally get the relief that you deserve and need. Welcome to Stuck Not Broken. This podcast is, of course, not therapy, nor is it intended to be a replacement for therapy. In this episode, we'll be doing a letter. I'll be answering a letter from one of your fellow stuck knots. We'll be talking about crying, freeze, and regulated and dysregulated freeze release or attempts at release. So here is the letter, and we'll keep them anonymous. Hey, Justin, I hope you're doing great. I am. Thank you so much. Hope you're doing great. I wanted to reach out to you to ask you one question about the free state. I know, my, I know from my personal experience that the free state does not allow for crying. My home away from home is the sympathetic flight fight defensive response. Whenever I get triggered, I automatically go into a free state and have no access to crying. It's frustrating because I feel I need to cry to discharge the defensive energy, but I am not able to do it at a biological level. What ends up happening to me is that I begin to experience this urge to bang my head or scream or run away, but I can't. I'm pretty sure this is my, I'm pretty sure this is the way my body aims to release the defensive energy that keeps building up, but obviously acting on these urges can do me more harm. My question is, why is it or what happens at a biological level when you are not able to discharge that frozen energy with a cry? My high hypothesis is that whenever I have a biological access to crying, I come down the ladder to a dorsal state. My experience in this state is more of a relief because even though this crying can become uncontrollable and I often hyperventilate, when it stops, I feel discharged. So I'm going to go into a few different things here that I heard from this and hopefully I answer your question. There's a few things in here that I, that I feel like are really important to highlight especially the uh, self-harm aspect of, of, of what, what you're asking here about um, freeze and potentially discharging fees, freeze, and really the, the dysregulated version of that. Let's first start off with uh, the free state and crying. Now, yeah, uh, I, I agree that when someone's actually in a free state, meaning they're actively in that free state, then crying is probably not going to happen. Probably not. But coming out of freeze could involve crying and i think it's pretty darn likely that it that it would i don't think it has to but i think it's pretty darn likely well so now you have hopefully heard um this podcast especially episodes 101 through 109 and so you know that freeze and shutdown are different they are not the same thing shutdown is that limp immobilized collapse freeze is that tense immobilization Freeze is a mixed state of the polyvagal theory, not a primary state. It's not just a quote-unquote trauma response. It is a, a mixed state. It is the sympathetic flight-fight state active along with the uh, dorsal vagal shutdown state. So flight-fight plus shutdown, that, that's freeze. Each polyvagal state has a, uh, a, an impulse or two or more that are associated with that state, meaning there's something that the body wants to do. The body has an impulse to do something. 
based on the state that it's in. And that includes a free state. All, all of these states uh, have impulses that come with them. The body is primed to do something in these states. And that includes this, the safety state. That includes being in your uh, ventral vagal state of safety and social engagement. The, the impulse there is going to be to connect to others, but more specifically, it could be to hug somebody. There could be an impulse to smile uh, or laugh or make gentle eye contact. All of these states have impulses associated with them, including freeze. So for freeze, the impulse to me seems to be tensing and releasing. It's, it's like you're bracing for impact. I don't think it's just um, an, an issue of like there's a glitch in the system and so you, you're sort of paralyzed in the moment and frozen in fear. I think that has an evolutionary benefit to it, that that frozen in fear could allow for an increase of survivability. It could mimic a corpse uh, even. That's not really an impulse, but that, that's that's an evolutionary benefit to it. But as far as the an impulse is concerned with freeze, it really is this like you're sort of like tensing in anticipation or preparation of explosion. And that might be explosion in aggression, but it could also be explosion in aggression and then explosion in uh, escape, running away. So I think it could be one of the two. I think freeze has has a, a, a different flavor based on what type of freeze you're in. You could be a freeze sort of anger and a freeze sort of uh, flight, anxious flight. And we'll, I'll talk about those later on. But I think that freeze can have a couple different flavors to it based on the sympathetic state that it is active along with. So the immobilization that's active along with flight is going to be a different experience. And the behaviors will be different than immobilization that's active along with fight. They're both sympathetic, flight and fight, but the flavor of them along with the uh, immobilization could look different and feel different and behave differently. So the impulses that come along with that will be different as well. But I think in general for freeze, there is this general impulse to brace and then uh, explode in flight or fight to escape or to use aggression. But for us humans, I think on a more day-to-day basis, uh, more commonly, it's crying. I think crying is the release of the uh, free state. If you think about it, and especially if you're aware of that whole polar bear video, Peter Levine's famous uh, polar bear video where the polar bear is tranquilized while running away from human beings in a helicopter. Uh, while the polar bear is tranquilized, uh, it, it is, it's immobilized, but the flight energy, maybe some fight too, the, but the flight energy will say is trapped in its system. And so when it comes out of that state, it has to shake and tremble all of the trauma, well, the potential trauma off. And in that video, they describe it as the polar bear releasing the stress, but really it's uh, flight energy. And it, it naturally knows how to self-regulate and shake and tremble and spontaneously spontaneously breathe and, and, and uh, discharge it, the stuck flight energy. Us humans can do that. Uh, it's not as natural, it seems like, anymore, but we can. And I think our version of that is crying. And if you think about it, when we cry, 
how we shake and we tremble and we shudder and we have this spontaneous breathing. And when we're done crying, a lot of times we feel better. Not every time, but we kind of feel better, uh, different. We might feel lighter. We might feel like we're more able to connect. We might feel more in our safety state from crying out whatever is stuck inside of us as far as sympathetic energy. So crying in the free state do go hand in hand, but I would say it's more of coming out of the free state and crying it out. As someone comes out of the shutdown state, I don't think there's really crying associated with it. I mean, I don't want to speak in absolutes, but usually what I see is that people have a surge um, or a gradual surge of fight energy. They don't really cry and then it comes at kind of like they're in shutdown and then the fight energy comes as they climb their ladder. Freeze is different. Freeze seems to have crying associated with it. Hey, fellow stuck knot, um, do me a favor though and make sure you are subscribed or following this podcast. If you're driving, don't do it. But if you're looking at a screen or have access to it, give me a subscri- uh, subscribe or a follow, please. It does mean a lot and it goes a long way. Uh, after you give the subscription or the follow you know, button, a little press, a little tap, you will get immediate access to every episode right away as they come out. Um, thank you ahead of time. Seriously, your subscription really goes a long way as far as these platforms knowing that this is a value for the next person. So thank you for that. All right, moving on. Let's talk about if you cannot cry or if you're not crying. You might be unable to cry. You might be listening to this and be you know, saying like, oh, cool, that's awesome. I, I can't cry. I don't cry. It doesn't come out. So a lot of my clients will say that they don't cry in front of others or they cannot cry in front of others. And I believe them and I see that you know, in session that uh, they might have an impulse to cry, but it, is, it doesn't come up or it doesn't come out. The impulse is there, but it's not acted upon. And you know, I think it's pretty common that we feel embarrassment or, or vulnerability and when we cry in front of others. And when we've cried in the past in front of others, we may have gotten negative reactions. We may have gotten humiliation. Uh, ridicule, and so yeah, you're not. That could have been its own little trauma in and of itself, and so you're not going to want to, you know, cry in front of somebody else because of the past event or events. But also, as you come up the polyvagal ladder into your safety state, as you get more self-regulated and grounded in your safety state, it might feel really uncomfortable, and so you have to deal with, or you have to be able to tolerate that discomfort of being in your safety state and being in front of somebody else. And that can be really a big challenge. So your ability to cry in front of somebody else, even a therapist, might be less. Your your ability to cry in front of somebody else, like a spouse or a loved one or a friend, might be less because it's just it's uncomfortable, it's difficult, it's vulnerability is a challenge, and that's okay. Or maybe you are someone who cries a ton and it doesn't really get you anywhere. I've I've met with those people as well. Maybe you, you you cannot stop crying, or when you cry, it turns into something else. It turns into a panic or just or destruction. Maybe it's completely overwhelming. What I'm talking about here, where they're where it's uncomfortable to cry in front of somebody, or it's uncomfortable to feel these feelings, that's different than this this next part, which is. Uh, dysregulated freeze attempts. So you're, you're, the body is attempting to discharge its stuck freeze energy 
but it's dysregulated. The first one is there's more regulation in there. It just it's really uncomfortable and vulnerable. With this one, this path of releasing or attempting to release, there's dysregulation. There there's not enough safety in the system to even notice that it's uncomfortable or to even notice maybe that there's an impulse to cry and be vulnerable if 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 there is at all. In in this the freeze state is being triggered. So when the safety state's active, that results in crying. This can be felt, this can be experienced, this can be discharged successfully. Maybe not all at once, but gradually, and maybe maybe at once, but over time gradually there might be a successful discharge. But dysregulated freeze might result in some crying Maybe, but it would be this uncontrollable, unproductive cry. It would feel overwhelming. Dysregulated freeze discharging or attempting to discharge also can look like rage or panic. So that dysregulation means there's not enough safety in the system active in order to be able to tolerate. The vagal break is not active. It's not strong enough. So if that's the case, then the defensive state is too much. There's too much flight fight in the system. There's too much freeze going on and not enough safety. So if there's too much of that, there's too much fight and immobilization and it gets triggered, that could be, uh, that could result in this explosive rage. Remember what I said before, which is that tensing and then releasing impulse. So maybe that could be, having this uh, uh, rage inside of you at all times, maybe it just kind of lingers. It's it's always there because you're stuck in this angry fight, uh, free state, immobilized fight state. But when it gets triggered, then it explodes into a rage. And it makes me wonder about people who are abusive and why around someone they feel or they think or the body detects as being weaker than them that the rage comes up. Could that be some faulty neuroception about not safety, but a lack of danger or a perceived lack of danger? I wonder. Panic is also a a freeze, but it's more of the flight variety of freeze. There's a, there's anxiety in, in panic. Rage is more anger, fight. Uh, panic is more anxiety, flight. But also with the immobilization. I think that someone could be triggered into a freeze, but it could also be where uh, the freeze energy is attempting to discharge, but the person can't handle it. They can't tolerate the uh, the amount of flight, fight in their system, but they also can't, work through the immobilization of the flight fight. And you kind of have to work through the immobilization aspect of it first and then work on the flight fight, I think. That's typically how I kind of go about things. This panic or rage or overwhelm, this is, or the uncontrollable, unproductive crying, this is out of control, it's explosive, it, potentially it's it's mindless and not mindful and I'm not, it's not supposed to be a dig or an insult, it just, that it's not mindful. The, the, the person is not able to be in their safety state and 
witness and experience the stuck state. And it's a lot. I don't, that's fine. I don't expect them to, but it's a lot. This could eventually lead to what the, the letter writer had indicated about self-harm. When I, I think self-harm can have a bunch of different things that bring somebody to it, including uh, intense self-hatred, but I would say that's more of a freeze. It might be a relief from whatever they're going through. It might be a distraction. It might be a physical distraction, depending on what it, you know, all this stuff depends on what it is and, and whatnot. But basically there could be a bunch of different paths that lead somebody that somebody, that somebody could get out of self-harm, I guess. A bunch of different temporary pseudo benefits. Self-harm is a, a behavioral adaptation. It feels a bit better in that moment. It feels less crummy, but it obviously is not effective and could end up making things worse. But I, I noticed that with self-harm that there definitely tends to be an, a, a freeze aspect of it that can feel more like panic or rage. I think self-hatred could be a, a form of rage as well. It could be an overwhelm. It could be so much inner turmoil that it, the, the physical aspect of the self-harm might be a relief. But I, I think a lot of that stems from freeze, dysregulated freeze. I think a lot of that stems from a dysregulated freeze. And actually, as I break this stuff down with my clients and we look at the self-harm thoughts and we do a chain analysis of how we got to the you know that point, a lot of times it's this freeze stuff attempting to come out to discharge and, and they cannot handle it. And that's okay. For, and they, you know, for now. But it seems like a lot, of, like over and over again, I can't tell you, you know, dear listener, fellow stuck now, I can't tell you what your free state is like or what your self-harm is there for. That's, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying for my clients that I, that I work with in therapy that repeatedly this seems to be a pattern is that the free state is attempting to discharge or has been triggered and the self-harm seems to play a role in alleviating that temporarily. Now to get uh, some actual relief from this, uh, from all of this, you, you know by now, if you've, if you've heard this before, you, you know that I am going to implore you to develop the strength of your vagal break, your safety state. I'm going to beg you to work on the strength of your safety state. Not easy, I know, but instead of delving into the trauma narrative instead of attempting to feel all of your feelings instead of attempting to meditate on the pain that you're in for an hour or two or three or whatever it is well you know why don't why don't we use that time to do something that helps you ground in safety that 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 is the priority grounding in safety is the absolute priority when it comes to all of this trauma relief stuff once you're grounded in safety, then you can start to work on the defensive state, the freeze stuff, the flight fight stuff. Once you're grounded in safety, then you can have a more productive cry or two or three or four and get some actual relief and do some discharging. If you can do a mindful cry or two or three or four. This is a lot and I don't expect 
you to uh, take this and run with it today. I, I'm hoping this brings some clarity or, yeah, clarity. I hope this helps clear up uh, some of the stuff for you, dear listener, fellow stuck not. Uh, but hey, if you want to build on this and you and you want to learn more about this Paul Vigil stuff, I have a free three-day email challenge for you. It's called the three-day Polyvagal Stage Challenge. If you sign up for my email list, I'll put a link in the description. If you sign up for my email list, I will send you an email once a day for three days that teaches you how to identify all of these polyvagal states and then challenges you to identify each of these states, like one or two per day, for three days. And then that's it. And then you succeed. <laughs> so it teaches you about it and then it guides you on how to identify it how to identify it, including the free state. Yes. Including shutdown, including freeze, including flight and fight. And yeah, of course, play and stillness and safety. But yeah, including freeze, I actually teach you how to identify the free state in a safe way, in a non-triggering way uh, during this three-day challenge. So uh, head on over to justinlmft.com slash three-day polyvagal. That's slash three-day polyvagal. And again, the link is in the description. So click that and you'll be all set to sign up for my email list. Thank you so much for listening, fellow Stuckna. I hope this episode has been a helpful resource for you in your process of learning and applying the polyvagal theory to your process of trauma relief. Bye. This podcast is not therapy, not intended to be therapy or be a replacement for therapy. Nothing in this creates or indicates a therapeutic relationship. Please consult with your therapist or seek for one in your area if you are experiencing mental health symptoms. Nothing in this podcast should be construed to be specific life advice. It's for educational and entertainment purposes only. More resources are available in the description of this episode and in the footer of justinlmft.com.